ourselves from feeling Jesus didn't come and die and rise again so that we would become less than human he came to make us really human and when we allow our hearts to be hard we start to dehumanize ourselves and you look at what's going on in the world today and you see this all over the place the hardness of hearts brothers and sisters it's not our judge to judge to judge the outside world we have to say God what's the state of my heart has my heart gotten hard If someone told you that you were diminishing who God is, you'd probably take offense. It's actually a very common thing to do. We want His love, but not His justice. As you'll hear today, God is who He is, regardless of what we want. In this teaching, Moses is still battling Pharaoh for the freedom of God's people. But Moses will find he's failing in another area of his life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Encounter with Pharaoh. God's calling of Moses and we saw Moses' excuses as to why he shouldn't be the person that God wants to use. And what's so interesting about that study is that we all find ourselves in the Moses seat in that way. We're all called by God to do certain things and we all have hangups in regards to who we are and why we shouldn't be the people who God is wanting to use. We all have that. It's part of the human condition. And if you were with us, you saw all these different, very valid, from a personal human side, but invalidated by God because he is God. Things like, well, who am I? And who are you? And what if the people reject me? And I'm really not that gifted. And Lord, I just really would rather you send anyone else but me. And to be honest, it's such a personal thing for us because we see ourselves there, don't we? We see ourselves as people who are called by God, and all of us are called. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that you would empower us to do what only we can do. So if you're a student, then you're called to be a good student. If you're married, you're called to be a spouse. Only you can be your spouse's significant other. If you're a parent, you are called to steward and raise up your children. Only you can do. They only have one mom or one dad. If you're on your job, you're hired to do a specific function. Only you can do that. See, we're called to these things. And we need to ask God for the empowering to do what only we can do. God's going to do his things on his side of the wall perfectly, and we're called simply to show up and ask God to empower us to do the things that only we can do. So we're all called, but if you look at your own life and you realize that it's so easy to mail in life, isn't it? To not embrace, this is what I'm called to do. And we have all the right reasons, right? Well, I just really, I'm not really into it, you know? 
I don't really think I'm really gifted. I mean, yeah, I did that, but I don't really know. And we all have these excuses. And in each one of Moses' excuses, God comes back and in effect says, I'm God. That's how it rolled. I'm God. And I made the point last week that Moses craved certainty and God responded with fidelity. Moses wanted all, everything in a nice little package and a nice little bow on it. Perfect. And God says, look, I'll be faithful, relationally, covenantally faithful to you in what I'm calling you to do. And that's why most of us don't want to step out into the ministries God called, because we want certainty. And what's amazing, if you watch advertising, advertising is trying to sell you certainty all the time. But what's interesting is, is that once you partake of the advertisement, you certainly never get what they sold you. It's always oversell, underdeliver. Right? I was, I was watching a, some football this weekend, and of course, you know, they, they market guys those four by four SUVs, and you know, the one guy's in like the, the family car, and it's kind of blah, and then the guy's in the SUV, and he's on top of a mountain. But I've never seen a guy in a four by four on top of a mountain yet. The only guy, the lone guy up there. Never saw that guy. You neither, right? But they're selling you certainty. And so often with God, we want certainty, but God doesn't give us certainty. He gives us his faithfulness. He said, look, I'm not going to tell you every detail, but I'll be with you the whole way. And I'll show up the whole way. So brothers, sisters, listen, if you're not stepping out into the calling that God has on your life because you're waiting for certainty, then you'll never go anywhere. But if you trust in God's fidelity, his covenant faithfulness, we won't know how it'll work out, but God will be with us. And that's what God has promised us. So Moses finally agrees to go. So we pick up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, and we see him first tying up some familial loose ends. So Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, I'll start right in. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So notice, it begins with Moses going to his father-in-law and in effect asking him for his blessings that he leave. Now remember, Moses has been tending to Jethro, his father-in-law's flocks for probably about 40 years. And so Moses is a man of God. So he doesn't just want to leave everybody in a lurch. He doesn't want to leave his father-in-law high and dry. But he wants to, clo he wants to finish well. 
You know, I think as Christians, it's so easy sometimes. I like to call it having felt-led disease. I felt led to do this, and then I feel led to do that, and I feel led to do that. And everywhere you go, you leave something hanging open. And that's a lack of faithfulness. Moses went to his father-in-law and said, look, God's calling me. I want to go back to Egypt. And Jethro says, okay. So I want to encourage you. It's easy to start well. I want to exhort you to finish well. You know, they always say, you could tell what a book is about by reading the first chapter and the last chapter. In a lot of ways, that's how people look at our lives. Your first impression and then the last impression. So it's easy to start well. It's hard to finish well. But Moses closes that loop. He goes to his father-in-law, who he's been serving. He asks for permission. His father-in-law says, go. And then, of course, the Lord, in verse 19 speaks to Moses again in Midian. He says, go and return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. So this reminds us of Exodus chapter 2, right? When Moses killed an Egyptian and when the Pharaoh found out about it, he was seeking Moses' life. The Lord is encouraging him, saying, listen, those who sought your life are not, are not alive anymore. So you can go in peace. There's really nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. And so what does Moses do? In verse 20, he takes his wife and his sons, he sets them on a donkey, and he begins his journey to the land of Egypt, and he took that rod in his hand. Remember the rod that he threw down, one of the signs that turned into a serpent when he picked it up again? It became a rod again. It's called the rod of God here. So, that, I mean, that could be like if you have a nice car, you can call it the hot rod of God. I don't know. Notice in verse 21. When you go to, back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I've put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You see that? He's saying, look, I want you to do all the signs, and I want you to ask him to let you go, but he's not going to go. He's not going to let you go. And there's this theme that runs all the way through this about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And the idea is, is God keeps saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And what's interesting is every time God says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, before that it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so what's interesting about that is there are theological schools of thought, of, of philosophy, that some people want to focus on God hardening Pharaoh, and they think that's the only way. And then there's people who think that, well, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and that's the only way. And everybody wants to emphasize one side at the expense of the other. So my recommendation in, is that we believe that God hardens people's hearts and people harden their own hearts. And somewhere in the midst of that, that's how these things happen. We read in Romans chapter 1, you can read it in your own time, that second half of that chapter. It says, when people will not worship God, God will give them over to the way that they think. So in Romans chapter 1, it talks about how we take a step away from God and then God just lets us go. So God has a hardening part in it, and Pharaoh does. And you know what's interesting? For us, we have to be careful about the states of our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. For some of us, we've hardened our hearts. We've been tired of being hurt. We, don't, we get scared of being vulnerable. Things don't work out the way we want. And we 
allow ourselves, our hearts to be calloused. We have a responsibility there. Now, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, then I simply want to encourage you just to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, my heart is getting hard, and you know that. And I ask like a hard sponge that you would just take the water of your Holy Spirit and wash it over my heart, that my heart may soften and then begin to drip with water. Because hardness in our hearts happens so easily. Why? Because we self-preserve all the time. It's so easy to self-protect. Things go wrong. I remember for me, I was uh, 20 years old when my mother lost her battle to cancer. And I remember the day, you know, after the funeral and everything, and and I remember going back to, I was just before my senior year in college, my last year, and and I remember going back to my room and going to bed and, you know, uh, getting myself pretty uh, inebriated before I went to bed. Wasn't a Christian at the time. And I remember waking up the next morning and just being like, you know, I just don't feel like getting up. And I pulled the covers over my head and, you know, I decided I was just going to kind of camp out and be grumpy. You know, and I remember after about two hours laying in bed, I thought to myself, what am I doing? And it dawned on me that how I dealt with this was going to change my life forever. I was either going to put up walls that only later, if I, if I allowed them to go up, I was going to have to dismantle them if I wanted to have any sort of meaningful relationship with anybody. And I could have justified, listen, I don't want to let anybody in because the one person who it really hurts with was my mom because she was a great mom and a great woman. And I could have justified it till the cows came home. And I'm just so grateful for God's grace that said, listen, if you harden your heart, you're going to miss out on the relationships that I want to bless you with. And how many of marriages, maybe in this room, there's hardness because there's water under that bridge. Maybe you have a hard heart to your job, to your boss, to your spouse, to your child, to your neighbor. Sometimes God gives us over to the hardness of our hearts. In a lot of ways, that's the worst place to be in. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens, it says. Which means God loves us as a parent, and he'll say, no, 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 not for you. But like all children, we resist that, don't we, sometimes? We say, oh, no, no, yeah, Lord, you're saying, no, 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 listen, this is my life. I just want to encourage you. God wants our hearts to be soft. One of the unfortunate parts of being human is that we have to feel things. We have to be able to weep when something bad happens and rejoice when something good happens and feel frustrated when something that we didn't want to happen happened. That's part of the human condition. We don't want to protect ourselves from feeling. Jesus didn't come and die and rise again so that we would become less than human. He came to make us really human. And when we allow our hearts to be hard, we start to dehumanize ourselves. And you look at what's going on in the world today, and you see this all over the place, the hardness of hearts. But brothers and sisters, it's not our judge to judge, to judge the outside world. We have to say, God, what's the state of my heart? Has my heart gotten hard? Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. And we need to say, God, soften my heart. Take out that heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Let me be feeling again. Now, notice verses 22 and 23 kind of prepare us 
for the final, the 10th plague. Look at what it says. That you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. This is God acting in his most strictest sense of justice. We live in a culture and a day and age where we love the idea of the loving God. But we forget that if God wasn't just, he wouldn't be perfect. People struggle with this. I remember when I first got saved and started reading the word, I'm like, man, this just God thing is horrible. I mean, who really, you know, but then you start thinking about it and you realize that if God wasn't just, he couldn't be perfect. Like, let me give you an example. Imagine this. Imagine there is a man, right? And he, is, he horribly treats children, murders them as bad as it can be, right? To lots of children. He gets arrested and he goes before the judge and the judge is like, look, I'm a loving judge. Just go free. We'd be outraged, I hope, right? But a just judge would give somebody their just do for what they've done. God's justice is part of his perfections. And as we're going to see today, God is so much more deep than just kind of like Barney in the sky. So oftentimes we want to make God very handleable. We want, to, we want to diminish all that he is. We want to focus on his love more than his justice. We want to focus on his compassion more than his hatred of sin. But the God who is worthy to be worshipped is totally loving and totally just. Together. And we don't have to hold them in tension. That is who he is. That is who he is. But notice he calls Israel his firstborn son. And then he calls Jesus his firstborn son, because Jesus, like Adam before him, is representative of all the people of God. Jesus does what Adam couldn't do. Jesus lives the way Israel couldn't live, as the representative king of his people. And he's saying, I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my son go and worship. And if you will not, then I am going to judge you by taking your son. Now, in verse 24, things start to get really weird. So look at what happens. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a really, really out of nowhere scene. There's no lead into that. All of a sudden, Moses is finally going. He's got his family. He's got his marching orders. And then he gets out there, and then it says that God tries to kill him. Now, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. I don't have any certainty to give you over these verses. You know what I see here, though? I see a sovereign God acting in his sovereign choice. You would think that when God calls somebody, they're absolutely safe, but 
Notice how this thing plays out. God is upset with Moses. Zipporah takes a sharp stone and circumcises her son, lays it at Moses' feet. She gives him a little bit of a hard time, and then God relents. So what is this all about? In a certain way, this is all about Moses being called but not being obedient. Because if you recall the sign of the covenant, Genesis 17, 14, that all man children should be circumcised. It was a marking in the flesh, a setting apart. And Moses didn't do it for his own son. Now, what this means for us, I believe, is this. God could use us mightily, but oftentimes we have areas of disobedience in our own heart. We have areas of disobedience in our own heart. And so as I read that, I thought to myself, Lord, is there anything in my life that's like that in Moses' life? He wasn't leading his family well. And Zipporah realizes what's going on. She circumcises her own son. Now, don't miss this. Remember when we studied the birth, Moses' birth, we saw all these great women now we have his wife saving his life again. I mean, the testimony of how God is using women in these first four chapters is amazing. Moses is alive because of the midwives, his mom, his sister, Pharaoh's daughter, and now his own wife. Over, there's this theme, the protection that Moses is receiving at the hand of women who are caring about him. And it's interesting, it doesn't say how Zipporah knew. She just knew. She circumcised her own son. I mean, could you imagine this? I can't, no, I don't even want to imagine this. But she does it. She throws it at his feet. And she says, you're a husband of blood to me. Now, you know what's amazing about this? We don't even know what that actually means. It comes off sounding very pejorative, but it may not be. I mean, blood in the Bible is actually the symbol of something that purifies it's a symbol of life. So I don't want to read into Zipporah's motive. I don't want to necessarily read into God's motive because we don't know. But once the circumcision was done, God relented. He relented in doing harm to Moses. Just one more thing about this section. I really want to encourage you to allow God in your heart to be as wild and free as he really is. When I read this, I mean, you know, I, listen, I read so many scholars, and I've been reading this section for a while, trying to get a handle on it, and, you know, I could bore you with all these different takes on it. But the one take that comes over and over again in my heart is that God acts in accordance with his perfect ways. And we look at that, we say, I mean, he just called the guy, he didn't even give him a warning, and then he goes after him. And you read the same thing in the book of Acts when Ananias and Sapphira sell their land and they kept back part of the money and they pretended like they gave all the money. And they dropped dead in the congregation and we think to ourselves, what is this? What do we do with this? Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel shared from his own life about a time when he had a choice to let his heart become hardened, or to be healed. God wants to bless us with relationships, and it can't happen with a hardened heart. Pharaoh was giving over to his hard heart. 
We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how over and over Pharaoh denies God's people grace and freedom. Pharaoh believes that power comes from wielding an iron fist. That's not God's way. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled The Passover. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.